The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of a uh, reality-inspired Cold War thriller called Conclave. His name is Tom Davis. He joins me by phone. Tom, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Tom. Um... Tom, the book somewhat revolves around the uh, death of Pope John Paul I, um, and as you describe it, of an apparent heart attack, and what happens in the wake of that. And, And for most of us looking on at that time, as I was, um, it was, it was fascinating to go through two papal conclaves in such a uh, short period of time. Oh, it absolutely was. It was a big surprise when Pope John Paul I was uh, found uh, deceased in his apartment, and all of a sudden you're faced with having to have two papal conclaves within six weeks. There were six in total during the entire 20th century, and of course the last two occurred six weeks apart. So not something you see very often, and it was uh, something that created a lot of uh, uncertainty in the international system. Now, but, and, and I understand it was suspenseful, and I enjoyed waiting and watching for the the cloud of smoke to change color and all that, but how does that become a Cold War thriller? Well, at the time, <laughs> there was a lot going on in the world, and the uh, Uh, In the Eastern Bloc, the old Warsaw Pact, there was a lot of signs of instability going on, particularly in Poland. You had the early beginnings of what turned into the Solidarity Labor Movement, eventually turning into a recognized labor party, not labor party, but uh, labor union in what is supposedly a communist country, which is an oxymoron. So uh, the Soviet government was concerned about what was happening in Poland. And, of course, Poland is a very unified country. They're very nationalistic. They have their own language. And 90% of them are Catholic. So given the other challenges that uh, they had at that moment uh, in in Poland, the last thing in the world that the Kremlin wanted 
would be the election of a Polish pope. And suddenly they've got one. And it was uh, something that I think really accelerated the unraveling of the, of the Warsaw Pact. Really? Um, it, it seems odd that, that the Soviet Union or later Russia would um, be co- that concerned or that interested in the inner workings of the Catholic Church? Well, uh, I don't think that they were necessarily uh, concerned about the inner workings of the Catholic Church. And in fact, one of the themes, Tom, that I put in the book is that uh, their preference would be for the Catholic Church to continue as it was so that the issues it was dealing with were basically internal and theological, uh, birth control, uh, ordination of priests, uh, the Vatican uh, Bank was an issue at the time. So they were completely content with the, the focus of the church to be internal. But when you've got a person who is a non-Italian, and in particular a, a Polish cardinal who has had many years of experience in dealing with the communist regime, that's a whole different thing for them. And in addition, you know, at that time I was a, uh, an officer, army officer over in Germany, and there were 20 Russian divisions in East Germany. And the supply chains and the communication chains for those divisions in East Germany ran through Poland. So it was important for them to have a, uh, a very secure and a stable Polish and a loyal Polish regime. Was it unusual for um, Catholics to look outside of Italians uh, for a replacement for the Pope? I mean, had they historically been Italian? Oh, they had been Italian popes since 1506. The last non-Italian pope was a Dutchman named Hadrian, who was pope for one year. So you have not had a non-Italian pope in almost 500 years. So at the time, the announcement is made from the balcony that uh, the new pope is going to be Cardinal Carol Botiwa. Uh, if you look at the contemporaneous coverage of that thing, Peter Jennings was uh, the ABC correspondent who was on air at the time. There was a moment of confusion as to exactly whose name had been announced because they were expecting, of course, an Italian name, and nobody put together right away that this was not a, going to be an Italian pope. And then how long did, uh, did he serve? Uh, John Paul II was uh, Pope from 1978 until 2005 when he passed away. What I kind of find interesting about talking about the book, uh, Tom, Conclave to Groups, uh, I've kind of gotten to the point where I ask how many of you here are Catholic, and, uh, you know, there's always a reasonably large number that raise, raise their hands uh, just out of normal interest. And then I ask how many of you recognize what's the really significant thing about John Paul II, and there's generally a pause before somebody will say, well, he was the first non-Italian pope, wasn't he? And uh, <laughs> correct. So he was, uh, you know, he was pope for 27 years. He was like only 56 years old when he was uh, originally elected. And oh, by the way, uh, there were two Polish cardinals, and he was not the well-known one. So there was, uh, there was that dimension of it as well. But since he was pope for 27 years, people by and large just begin to recognize John Paul II as the Pope, and the fact that he's not Italian slowly slipped into the background. 
Now, do I remember correctly that there was some some German or Nazi connection to the Pope? Not uh, John Paul II. I think what you may be uh, thinking of is his successor, uh, who was a cardinal named Joseph Ratzinger, who was German. That's who I'm thinking uh, of. Yeah, he became Pope Benedict XVI, and uh, since he had been in the, he was German, he'd grown up in Germany back during that period, so there has been some reporting that's going on in days gone by that as a young guy, he was a member of a, of a Nazi youth group, um, or, or something to that effect, but uh, I think that's what you're thinking of in that regard. I, I think you're right about that, and of course, uh, the, the current Pope is um, from central america argentina yeah um i took a little advantage of that in the book i I had found during my research you know some discussion that uh that was out there in the catholic community uh that uh, if you're going to have a non-italian pope you know the first thing he needs to be is a european but they were recognizing that the vast majority of catholics worldwide at that point were more and more in south america so there was a belief that it was going to be just a matter of time before you had a latin american pope and now we have one is um I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this tom but are are we ever going to see an italian pope again because it seems like now we're we're having all popes that aren't italian I think it's probably not likely in the immediate future just because of the changes in the demographics of uh, the global Catholic Church. Uh, And you had Italians as Pope for many, many years because, among other things, uh, that the Pope is the Bishop of Rome. He's the head of the Church within Rome itself. And historically, he was also the overseer of what was called the Papal States, which were also uh, Italian, but so much of that is uh, no longer relevant to the uh, to the Church or how the Church interacts with the world. So I think it would probably be uh, an unusual occurrence to get a, an Italian Pope. How, where does theology and politics collide in this, uh, in this book? Well, they collide because uh, there are those uh, in in the Church back during that period. Uh, when Pope John Paul I dies, the two leading contenders to replace him are two Italian cardinals, uh, one named uh, Cardinal Benelli, who was from Florence, the other one Cardinal Siri from Genoa. Uh, Siri was a very conservative uh, theologian, Benelli uh, 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 somewhat less so. It's often a little bit unusual to try to call these people conservatives and liberals because the distinctions are actually kind of fine. Uh, but their debates were over things that had to do with uh, church theology, the, the birth control uh, encyclical that came out, I believe, in the late 1960s was still very controversial uh, within the church. And a lot of the priests out in the field, out in the, the various parishes and so forth, recognized it was a a problem for them. So you had the theology going on in the church, and it was really reflected by these two leading Italian contenders. But on top of that, uh, you've got this uh, opportunity that suddenly arises, this possibility that if you had a non-Italian pope, uh, he might begin to use the influence of the church in ways that were, were much more global so the story that I, I weave uh, in here is that um, 
you know, you've got the, the global interest going on, the east-west competition between the United States and the Soviet Union. So the fact that you wound up with a non-Italian pope who had a more global view, who had experience trying to reconcile uh, the pope, uh, the pope's interest and the Catholic Church's interest with a communist regime where he lived, that's really kind of the collision that happens. And uh, the the American interest was that a uh, a non-Italian pope be selected after uh, John Paul I died. Um, so as to destabilize the Soviet Union in Europe. As to put, yeah, pressure on, on them. I mean, it's kind of interesting that John Paul II becomes pope in 1978. The Soviet Union collapses 13 years later. Uh, so, he, you know, he played some role in that. I think that his uh, papacy was a lot more con- consequential than I think people generally saw it being at the time or felt it, it could be at the time. But, yeah, I think that uh, the fact that uh, he had this view, he, he had this implicit criticism of the communist regime, he had this challenge that he presented as the leader of a worldwide Catholic church, from a country that was run by an an atheistic political party, uh, really created some tensions. And uh, so enters in your book uh, Major Carter Caldwell, a junior member of the National Security Council, who is uh, basically sent to Rome to try to encourage uh, the selection of a non-Italian pope for the first time in 500 years. Um, I can't imagine the Catholic Church is used to consulting with the American National Security Council on uh, (laughs) the criteria for being Pope. Oh, not at all. I mean, there's no consultation going on here. He's uh, working behind the scenes along with his uh, CIA uh, counterpart to try to influence influence this to go in a way that uh, the, the American government in in my novel sees would be uh, beneficial to them. I first uh, got the kernel of this story uh, 40 years ago, Tom, when I was on loan as an Army officer to the State Department, and a fellow who was on the Secretary of State's senior staff, uh, just I think in an effort to try to impress me one day over lunch, when I had mentioned something about uh, John Paul II being back out making appearances, having been attempted murder, uh, assassination attempt the year before. And he kind of looked at me and he said, well, as you know, his election as Pope was orchestrated by President Carter's security advisors, Big Brzezinski. It was a Polish thing. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, you know, for about half a second, I thought, wow, I never would have thought about that. And then for the next half a second and thereafter, I thought, uh, yeah, come on, he's just pulling my leg and wants to see if I have a pulse and if I'm alert. Uh, over the years, I got to be friends with Brzezinski's sons and had told both of them the story. They both got a good laugh out of it uh, as well. But uh, there was an American interest uh, that existed back then. Could have been an American interest. Certainly was an American interest. And in, in having uh, something occur that hey, would uh, put some additional pressure and stress on the Soviet Union. Tom, I hate, to, I hate to interrupt, but I want to put a comma there. I have to take a short break. Can you stick around so we can talk about this some more? Oh, happy to, Tom. Great. My guest is Tom Davis, author of um, 
the Cold War thriller Hello, Conclave. Darling. We'll be right I'm back. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsi than flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue my conversation with the author of a new book called Conclave, Tom Davis. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, my pleasure, Tom. Uh, just before the break, we were talking uh, a little bit about the um, American interest in the papal succession following the death of uh, John Paul one or John Paul the first and um, and and in particular I had brought up uh, a character a young officer a junior member of the National Security Council Major Carter Caldwell um, in your research and and development of uh, the backstory on on all of this was there a major Carter Caldwell somewhere? Well, I'm really thrilled that you asked that question because when I first began putting the book out for uh, publishers to look at, one of the major publishing houses had reviewed it. A fellow sent me back a note and he said, "Look, I find the whole idea of an army officer on the NSC staff to be unrealistic." which I consider to be quite uh, hilarious, given that Carter Caldwell is actually based on an Army colleague friend of mine, uh, who at the same time I was on loan out to the State Department. He was loaned out to the National Security Council staff as the director of NATO and European Affairs. It was initially just a one-year assignment for him, but uh, this was during the Reagan administration, he actually wound up staying there for seven years until President Reagan left office, and then, uh, then he retired. And, of course, uh, now people are quite familiar with the name of Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. So there are lots of Army and military officers on the NSC staff that are specialists in various particular areas. So Carter Caldwell is, is very much based on, um, on my colleague uh, who had that position that I describe in the book uh, throughout the Reagan administration. In in some ways, this is this is a, a historical novel, um, historical fiction. Uh, there are all kinds of things to call the genre, but um, when you're putting together a story like this, how much research goes into it to give it that sense of you're there and it's authentic and these people really are involved in the things that we know are going on in real life. Well, quite a bit of research went into it, uh, beginning with the fact that I'm not Catholic. So I had to actually go back and do an awful lot of research in various places about the whole procedure and process of running a conclave. And then in addition to that, uh, you, you you were required, I was required to actually go back and look upon the uniqueness 
of the challenge that was faced by the Vatican in putting on two conclaves that were only six weeks apart. Uh, that had never happened, uh, to my knowledge. It certainly had not happened uh, recently. So I had to do a lot of research uh, on the actual procedure of a conclave, which is uh, quite a fascinating process anyway you look at it. A lot of research on what was going on at that period uh, within the church. And other research, I actually went and looked through the backgrounds of all 111 cardinals who were voters uh, in that particular conclave to see what exactly their histories and backgrounds and interest and some public pronouncements uh, might have been. As I was doing that, one of the things, the thing that I stumbled upon, Tom, that I think really makes the story work was the discovery uh, that the Archbishop, the Cardinal of Philadelphia, Car Cardinal John Kroll, uh, was first-generation Polish immigrant. Uh, his family came from southern Poland, settled in Cleveland. He joined the priesthood and rose steadily up, and in the early 1960s, he sent to the Vatican two councils that were organized by Pope John the XXIII, where he meets his contemporary, Bishop Carol Votiwa of Krakow, and they become good friends. Uh, they both speak Polish. They both have a Polish background. They both share similar things, similar views on theology. So as I was looking at the uh, conclave that elects John Paul II, uh, you keep seeing Cardinal John Cole's name pop up a lot. So that uh, sort of led me to the uh, conclusion that I think within the deliberations that were going on, uh, Kroll and a group of others uh, began to advocate for Cardinal Kroll's friend, Cardinal Potiwa. Now, in your book, and, and, and again, I want to get, uh, before, I, before I ask that, I, I want to uh, get back into the, the major uh, Carter Caldwell character. Um, from the National Security Council and his efforts, his uh, teaming up with someone from the CIA and, and their efforts to have influence over this, this conclave um, based on the people you were talking about that Major Carter Caldwell may have been sort of inspired by or based on. Um, were there... KGB and CIA guys, you know, uh, mulling around during the conclave trying to uh, influence people from the outside in? Well, uh, not to my knowledge. I mean, it, it is a novel. Uh, I always like the Herman Wouk approach in his books, War and Remembrances and Winds of War, you know, which put fictional characters... Uh, in the story with real historical characters in order to uh, to tell uh, tell a story and to offer a narrative that was both entertaining and educational. So I, uh, I took that particular approach to it. I'm not aware of anything like that that happened. Uh, the only uh, thing that I have, like I said, that inspired the story to begin with was the comment by the State Department officer when I was assigned there at that time, which just kind of put the idea in my head. And of course, like as I mentioned, as it turned out, uh, John Paul II's uh, papacy and the influence that he had, 
and particular, the influence that he retained and had in Poland, I think, was really quite significant um, during the uh, latter days of the Cold War. Well, I, I, the reason I ask that is is because I just wondered if there was some basis in reality that would lead to the, the kinds of um, chases and gunfights and assassinations that are going on in the background uh, in in your novel Conclave. Well, there there's nothing uh, that I found in my research which indicate that the, in anything. Uh, you know, like like that happened. So I'm just trying to, you know, put a story on top of a historical occurrence and uh, put a, uh, a a scenario together that I believe, you know, reflects something that, uh, you know, would have been, uh, you know, not totally inconceivable. But again, again, I have no information and certainly no inside knowledge that anything like that happened. No, I just I I, I just wondered if there were events going on that that could lead you to say you know well what if this turned into gunfights and car chases and <laughs> assassinations <laughs> no. i mean i know you're writing a, a book to be a thriller but uh because it's um rooted in in real events uh, mm -hmm. it it just seems like uh you know there there might be a little pardon the the pun smoke there Oh, well, uh, you know, in fact, I, I probably, uh, I, at one time I considered, Tom, naming the book Behind White Smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and actually, since there's an, uh, another book out there that came out uh, named Conclave by a British author named Robert Harris, I often describe his book as more Da Vinci Code and my book as more Tom Clancy, so you know, pick, <laughs> pick, pick the genre you, you, uh, you would have it to... Uh, to prefer but uh no there's uh there's uh there's awareness that i have from my uh, my time you know in the government of uh, people in in places the interest that they had i had another friend on the nsc staff just for example at, at one point uh, who had a similar position to the one that i described for carter caldwell uh, who handled uh, meetings between President Reagan and chiefs of state of other European countries. And, of course, the Pope is a chief of state, being the head of the uh, the Holy See, which is uh, considered to be a, a sovereign country. And uh, he was telling me that for all the meetings that Reagan ever had with European heads of states, uh, he was the note-taker, uh, would sit in there and take notes on what was said, what was agreed to, but not so between Reagan and, and John Paul II. Uh, he said John Paul II insisted those meetings be completely private, and he and Reagan had their time together, and he says he has no idea what they talked about. And yet those were wide, wildly and widely publicized. The fact that the meeting was being held? Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, these were not secret meetings by by any means. They were on the daily calendar, and any time a pope uh, comes to the United States, uh, that, of course, is, is heavily covered. I was in D.C. back uh, three or four years ago when Pope Francis was here, and that was a heavily covered event. But this was just, uh, you know, he said that uh, 
He said the only hint he ever got about what was said is that President Reagan came out once after one of these meetings and said, what are we doing for alleviating poverty in Central America? And <laughs> the, 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 the fellow told me, he said, well, uh, I'm not sure, sir, that's not really my area. And he goes, well, you know, the Pope is really pushing me on this. Go find out what we're doing, because I'm guessing it's not as much, it's not enough to please him. So um, oh, that's, that's about funny. the only thing he said, that's the only thing he said he ever he ever got out of those meetings that uh, you know maybe had any any degree of content to what what they were discussing that either the president or the pope was willing to share. In the process of writing this this book, and and this is a tough time to be releasing a book. Um, have you got the bug, Tom? Oh, I have. I uh, enjoyed writing the book very much. It was an iterative process. Uh, I, uh, this is my first novel. I've written several things that are much more academic. My younger son, who's an English professor at Northwestern, once commented to me that I never write anything that doesn't, or read anything that doesn't have footnotes. So uh, I kind of decided, well, I'll, I'll show you, son. I'll write something with no footnotes in it. <laughs> So uh, that was part of the motivation, but I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed the research, and I've uh, I've written the sequel that we're hoping to get out within the next uh, next two months. It's going to bring Carter and Catherine, uh, the CIA agent, forward about five years and put them in a uh, situation uh, that occurred in southern Germany in Germany uh, back in the early days of the 1980s when the United States was deploying missiles in response to the Soviet deployment of missiles. So. That's the general. Uh, well, that's general exactly. That's exactly what I was going to ask Tom if we were going to see the, uh, you know, at some point in the future, the further adventures of uh, Major Caldwell. Well, you definitely are. My uh, many people that have read the read the book, particularly mainly friends of mine, because they would be the ones that could contact me most easily, you know, often call and check in on whatever and say, by the way, what are Carter and Catherine doing next? So <laughs> after about a dozen of those, I decided, well, I better have something for Carter and Catherine uh, to do next. The uh, The two characters were, were really fun. I patterned them after uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn's relationship in their many movies. Uh, I think that's probably why Catherine's named Catherine. So, um, uh, yeah, it was kind of fun taking uh, taking it on to a, a a new venue at a new time. Is is it possible this is going to become a series? I I often ask writers, do you get to the end of a book and go, but wait, there's more, and it becomes uh, a trilogy or a series. Well, I set this one up uh, at the very end. I mean, the very, very last paragraphs in, in the book uh, were set up for there to be a sequel. So uh, after having set that up and after having the queries from my friends about what Carter and Catherine were doing, that kind of motivated me to write a sequel, uh, which I've done. A friend of mine's daughter who has a movie production company in Germany, of all places, uh, saw the book, and uh, she's had me turn it into a screenplay, and she's uh, marketing it as a six-part miniseries. So really? we're, hoping to, we're hoping to get it uh, yeah, on TV at some, at some point in time. With all of us staying home with COVID and so forth, uh, you know, hopefully 
people will want to watch something that's a little different more frequently than they have in the past. So we'll, sure. we'll see if we can do that. Um, but I, yeah, it is turned into a screenplay, and uh, the, she told me to go ahead and give that a try. And uh, that was another interesting experience because, uh, of course, when you're writing a novel, you have to describe things in words, and a screenplay, you use the visuals. So it was a little different approach. And speaking of visuals, since uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn aren't available, any thoughts on who you'd like to see as Carter and Catherine? Well, I think if I, yeah, uh, if I, I guess if I had my choice, it'd be Chris, Chris Pine and, uh, and Taylor Swift, but, uh, we'll, we'll have to see who's available. Wow. That's an interesting combination. Well, it would be interesting. Uh, you know, in the, in the novel, Catherine's tall and he's tall. So, you know, one of the things you have to have is tall actors and actresses. So, um, of course you can always change the description of the characters for, uh, for what you have to work with but uh yeah it's um it, it's been an interesting process i've thoroughly enjoyed it and as as you move forward into it um is is the hint of reality you know the 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 fact that this book is reality inspired is that an ingredient you see in stories that you would want to tell going forward it really is as i said i I kind of like to write something that can be entertaining uh, and and educational at at the same time. When I read uh, Wook's War and Remembrance, uh, he has a major sequence in that book about the Battle of Midway in June 1942, one of the significant events of World War II, yet not one that is as well-known as many other things. And it's about the best rendition of what happened uh, during that very decisive battle, built around fictional characters for the most part, interacting with historical characters. You know, the Admiral Spruance, who was the task force commander, for instance. And uh, I learned more about the Battle of Midway reading that book than I did uh, studying military history about it at West Point. Uh, and of course, being West Point, we don't spend a lot of time reviewing naval battles. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> True. Uh, so I, I liked uh, that whole idea of, you know, using an entertainment vehicle as an education vehicle. Well, the jacket promises that history buffs and action enthusiasts will be at the edge of their seats uh, as the Conclave reaches its exciting conclusion. The name of the book is Concla Conclave. The author is Tom Davis. And, Tom, when um, you said earlier that the the kernel of the idea uh, goes back to um, your working uh, in the government and um, other people that you knew that had worked in the government talking about this uh, American interest in impacting the selection of a Polish pope uh, back in 78. But um, when did it actually turn into Tom Davis at the keyboard writing a book? How did how did that start for you? Uh, well, that's a, 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 another great question, Tom. Very interesting. I was um, uh, I had retired from the army many a quarter of a century ago. Now I'd gone to work uh, in the defense industry. Became a corporate executive at one of the major defense companies, and uh, I'd reached a point there where I thought it was time to 
retire uh, from that particular endeavor as well. So I did, uh, went home, and uh, my wife said, uh, are you going to go look for uh, another job? And I said, you know, I don't think so. I think I want to write a book. <laughs> and she said, she said, well, I think I want you to get a job. And uh, I said, no, I, I really got this idea of a book. I think I'd like to write that. So after a couple more discussions, husband and wife class, that I think everybody's familiar with, uh, she said, well, if you want to give it a try, go ahead and give it a try. Let's, let's see what you got. So I sat down at that point, outlined the story, uh, started doing the research. Uh, she prepared the sandwiches and you know, brought me the cup of coffee in the morning and the uh, ice, ice down Coca-Cola in the afternoon. And uh, I took about 18 months and and cobbled it out. Um, and like I said, iterative process, two, two chapters, and then you stop and think, you know, back two chapters ago, if this had happened, it'd make this a little more interesting. So uh, I went through that for, uh, for the first novel. For the one I just finished, it went a little smoother. But uh, nonetheless, that's kind of how my mind works on these things. Do, do you outline, or um, do you just start uh, narrating and then go back and clean it up? As an old artillery officer, we're very much process-driven, so I actually do an outline. Uh, outline the, the whole thing all the way from you know chapter 1 to chapter 24. Then I find myself moving chapters around a little bit, changing content here and there, sometimes inventing a character, deleting a character, discovering a character who needs to be in there. So... It's uh, It starts as a, an outline to get you from point A to point B and uh, kind of the skeleton, and then you begin to put flesh on it and uh, and, and move some things around. So uh, as, for me, it's a very iterative, uh, iterative process, but it's an enjoyable process. And it sounds like for this first one, it was story first, and then you added characters to it, but... As you move forward, it looks a little bit more like uh, characters first and what would happen to them. Well, in the sequel that I've just uh, finished, which is, is going to be titled Empty Quiver, and if you want to know where that comes from, I'll, I'll tell you, but uh, I, I don't spend as much time uh, developing the main characters as I did in Conclave because, you know, there's one, a certain presumption that if you want to really find out more about them, you can go back and buy the first book. Uh, the, the other <laughs> part is, is you know, it, it is more telling the story and, and a little less developing the characters. Although, uh, since it is a sequel and since I am bringing the two main characters, Carter and Catherine, forward, uh, a lot of time early in the book is developing their relationship. Well, we uh, unfortunately, Tom, we have to end it there. I'm having a great time talking with you, and the book uh, is um, fascinating. It's called Conclave. It is a uh, reality-inspired Cold War thriller by my guest, Tom Davis. Tom, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, about the book, and about things you're going to be doing going forward. Uh, do you have a website? I do have a website. It's uh, tomdavisauthor.com, and I've set that up, Tom, as sort of like bonus features on a DVD. If you go there, there's more information on the background of the book, the characters, the venues uh, that I used, uh, some of the inspiration for some of the portions in the book, 
so it's it's set up to give you more background on the book, and then down at the bottom uh, there's a link where you can order the book from uh, Amazon. But as I said, if you order Conclave, and I do hope everybody does, uh, be sure you get the one by Tom Davis, uh, not Brand <laughs> X. <laughs> Be sure you're going Tom Clancy and not Da Vinci Code. <laughs> there you go. Well, Tom, thanks so much for spending this time with me. I appreciate it very much. Oh, thank you, Tom, and best wishes to everyone in Michigan. All right, take care. That was uh, Tom Davis, author of uh, the book Conclave, a reality-inspired Cold War thriller. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in edgewise. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Then we will return with the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We will be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips... Visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Number one. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Two. Virtual play dates. Social and physical distancing can help save lives. Three. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us, at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular 
regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. It may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Now, I happen to notice uh, that you have uh, listed a number of qualifications. Why would you want to be Pope? First of all, there's never been a Pope named Joe. <laughs> That's true. Okay, I think Pope Joe sounds good, no? <laughs> well, Joseph is a biblical name for sure. Well, Joseph, yeah. hasn't been used. But I like Pope Joe. I like, so, I like Pope Joe, too. I'm, and. I'm and I think I'm going to be a good pop, a fair pop, and a, and a clean pop. That's, <laughs> that's, why, that's why God gave me a little OCD so I can become, you know, an overly clean deity. You know? that's, <laughs> that's why I'm going to make sure the phone and the email lines are open to heaven so all the prayers they're going to be heard that they don't go into the prayer spam file, you know? Like with this, with this last pop, okay? Because I'm sure a lot of people are saying, hey, I do the prayer, but I don't hear nothing, okay? Where, where's my, the answer to my prayer? That's because they're going into you know, the spam file, I know. I understand why you might want to be Pope. The reason I want to be Pope is I think I can bring about a lot of good change into the church. First of all, I think I can increase the attendance because, you know, I'm a sport fan like you, like a lot of people, and I'm learning from teams like the Dallas Cowboys and the Lakers. So the first thing I want to do is try to recruit a whole lot of better looking nuns, okay? <laughs> I, I want to... They could be 
cheerleaders. That's a, that's a my second thing here, cheerleader. What I want to do is I want to get all of the women of Sports Illustrated to turn it down. That's, that's, then, uh, during a mass, I'm going to petition for communion for that to, to be like a, a sourdough or maybe some other kind of flavors, you know? That way when people, they, they can't wait to get the communion. Hey, this tastes pretty good, you know? But we're going to make it like a sourdough light because we still wanted them to fit in the, the pew. And that's right. It's always a, a part to get a stuck right there on, on the back of your throat, you know? You can't, but, but with a little sourdough, a little good wine, boom, right down in there. Everything is going to be a lot better, okay? The other thing I'm going to do is uh, right away, I'm going to take away rulers from every nun. I mean, I never saw a nun measure anything. I don't even think they know what the ruler is used for. In fact, I still got the numbers 10, 11, and 12 embedded into my left butt cheek, you know? <laughs> and I'm going to get rid of all of the venial sins, okay? No more venial sins. And I think that's going to attract a lot of people because if, if you know... Well, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> now, now, these are some of the things that, that, that you want to do to change things. Now, why should the Cardinals in the Conclave, uh, when they assemble, pick Joe Napoli, Pope Joe? I think the people should have picked the Pope. That's why I wanted the people to vote for me. You just got to call 1-800-JOE-POPE. You go over there. <laughs> Is it Joe Pope or Pope Joe? 1-800-POPE-JOE. That's right, because you think you know, but you don't know. If you knew what you don't know, you'd know you don't know, but you don't even know what you think you know, and still you think you know. I even got an agent already to help me with this, you know? The less able, less able. And I appreciate you giving me the time so I can go out and I can campaign the way a Pope should campaign, okay? I've been practicing from my porch. I wave it to all the people who bring their dogs. They're peeing all over my lawn. I wave it to them. Some I don't wave. I use the other hand, if you know what I mean. But... I'm going to be a good pope. And listen, me and this other pope, uh, the one who's stepping down, we're about to the same size, okay? So we're going to save a lot of money on the clothes here. Well, I, I've already seen a, a picture of you uh, in, in a papal garment, and uh, you look great. Your prayer going to be answered. And, and well, it would be the first time. I'm going to do a lot for you, okay? We're going to get you a really good toupee. <laughs> it's good to know the Pope. That's right. That's right. That's well, good. I, that know, might I wish, be... I wish you all the luck, and all I can say is if there can be, you know, a, a, a Senator Fred Thompson, a Governor Jesse Ventura, why not Pope Joe? That's right. I wish you well with that, and hope people will go to 1-800-POPE-JOE, or uh, link to Joe Napoli's website in... Uh, 
or go right to my Facebook page and just hit a like. That's all. Then I show the Vatican I got, what, maybe 87 and 92 likes? Boom, I'm in. <laughs> Okay, Tommy, you do the same, and remember, I'm a praying for you because you don't know. You think you know. <laughs> <laughs> This was another Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. She was born by the river He was born by the sea The sparks began to fly They shared the passion of desire And the will to be free Cast a spell on each other And now they're both where they want to be song is called The River from a uh, CD called A Slice of Heaven from Smokin' George Winters along with vocalist Michael McGlown. And uh, that wraps up today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. That was Joe Napodi uh, campaigning for Pope Joe uh, from a very funny uh, skit that he did for us here on the show. And speaking of Smoking George, here he is uh, 
tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hallway to the living room but uh, before I do I want to say thanks to author Tom Davis author Ed Hudson and author Catherine Stewart Um, boy it was a real trip to the library today and church a little bit Um, anyway uh, thanks for tuning in folks and uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning at nine o'clock with another edition of the Tom Sumner program in the meantime Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.